I knew that my dad was using drugs and from a really young age and I, I didn't sort of tell anyone that I knew, but I, I knew a lot of what was going on. And, and of course your parents, like they try and protect you from things. So they probably tried to hide it, but I, I was always very, very vigilant and very aware of what was going on. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. Today, I'm joined by Nikki Wicks, CEO of the amazing and hugely popular The Body Coach brand. Nikki's been involved with The Body Coach since its inception 10 years ago and has been leading the business as CEO for over a year. I had the great pleasure of meeting Nikki a few months back and he came to join us on last year's Sifted Summit panel discussion where we spoke about putting purpose over profit and how The Body Coach bring everything they do back to their core mission of helping people feel fitter, healthier and happier no matter where they are on their fitness journey. I am super grateful that Nikki has come back on 40 Minute Mentor for a special solo episode to share more about his own journey, his amazing relationship with Joe, and the amazing work that they're doing. So Nikki, happy new year. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, We've had the pleasure of already having a coffee this week. So I'm getting two doses of Nikki Wicks this week. How are things? Yeah, thanks, James. Yeah, it's twice in a week. I feel for you. I'm good. Firstly, thank you for having me on. We've spoken about this. I do get really nervous, like talking. And the talk I did with you at the Sifted Summit was like a big first for me. And although that was a recording, I sort of forgot it was a podcast because I was more dealing with the nervousness around the live public speaking element. I'd kind of forgot that was a podcast. But um, this feels like officially my second ever podcast that I've been on. So I think I'm a little bit less nervous than, than last time, but I'm definitely still a little bit anxious and but you know it's nice that we know each other and we've got to know each other a bit over the last couple of months yeah definitely no well you're very humble you were nervous before you absolutely smashed it at the sifted summit and uh i think it's just like any muscle isn't it you just you keep working on it and your story is such a great one that i'm i'm really chuffed that we're gonna have a chance to dig into it a little bit more today but as usual in our our podcast we always like to start with some quick fire questions just to, to sort of warm you up so if you could finish the following sentence for me, that would be awesome. So number one, I grew up wanting to be... Oh, I'm a footballer. Oh, that sounds super cliche, but I have I did. I wanted to be a footballer. I think until I was about 16, I thought it was still possible. But yeah, I'll go footballer. Nice. Who do you support? Oh, I'm a big Chelsea fan. So bit of a mad, weird time to be a Chelsea fan. But um, yeah, big Chelsea fan. Yeah, Chelsea will have their time again, I've, I've got no doubt. As I think a few of the podcast listeners will know now, I'm a long-suffering Aston Villa fan. So we're kind of on the up, but you never quite know with Villa. That is, yeah. And like you, I, I also I had aspirations of being a professional sports person. I, I, I frankly would have taken any sport. I just love all sports. Number two, a misconception people have about me is... Oh, this is a really hard one because you don't really know what people really think of you, do you really? But... um. So some people are always quite surprised when I tell them I don't ever do any of uh, Joe's workouts. I think people assume that I, I do lots of body coach TV or the app workouts. Now, you know, I love Joe. We're very close, but I can't spend all day with him. I spend our holidays together. We spend our free time, to, you know, a lot of free time together. Obviously, we work together. So when I get home, the last thing I need is to be doing my workouts with him as well. So I don't do workouts with Joe. Yeah. 
there is so much of too much of a good thing. So uh, I think you're allowed to do that. And I know you're big into your your cycling, aren't you? So there's there's definitely different ways to to keep fit. The last time I cried was when. Oh, this is an easy one. Uh, yesterday. Uh, do you want to know? Do you want to know why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me why. I cry. I cry a lot, actually. I think I might have shared that with you before. I'm, I'm a quite, yeah, very sort of sensitive and quite emotional. You know, both during kind of good times and, and difficult times. I, I cry a lot on our team calls, our company calls. You know, very often when it's sharing, you know, positive and good news. So it's, you know, I, but I did cry on a team call yesterday. So, yeah. I'll probably cry on this podcast, mate. So ask me that again at the end of the the end of our chat. I'm all for leaders being vulnerable. And I think it's something that I've learned over the years is is not a bad thing at all. Since Sienna came along seven years ago, I've definitely cried so much more. I think I almost used to think it was like a badge of honor to not cry. And that's such that's so stupid. So I think there's a lot to be said for getting it out there and showing how you're feeling. So I think that's a really that's a good thing to hear because not everyone always admits that they cry all right next one if there was one thing i could change about entrepreneurship it would be that's a hard one for me because i don't really feel like an entrepreneur i don't in it when people call me one or or, or even I, I talk about entrepreneurship like i i don't really sort of see myself or, or even what me and joe have done as necessarily like you know setting out to be entrepreneurs but you know i definitely am uh, growing a business and you know been growing a brand and you know obviously it has been very an, an entrepreneurial journey but you know i think for me personally like what I would change about my current and, and this again really sure everyone can relate to this in some way but you know finding um balance between everything to do with work and the business and 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 then finding time for myself and my family and and, and being present so it's not something I'd, I'd change about entrepreneurship necessarily but I, I certainly would like to find a way to find some more balance and time in my own my own life really no, that's, that's a really good one. And I'd imagine a lot of people listening in our audience would, would probably share that. And I definitely do. It's, it's the thing I find the hardest to not feel like I'm letting people down and actually try and, you know, carve out a bit of time for exercise, carve out a bit of time for friends. And you are definitely an entrepreneur. You're incredibly humble, but, you know, you definitely are. And I think one that our listeners are going to be, uh, you know, really inspired to hear your story. So we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Final quickfire question is, my biggest failure to date is? Oh, gosh. There's been a lots of ups and downs and, and, and failures, I guess, along the way. The biggest one to date, oh, going back to what we were just talking about, I do constantly have a feeling of, like, guilt and, and failure around fitting it all in and, like, my being a present. Uh, I've got two young kids and being being a good dad. And I don't want to say I've failed at being a parent because I, I don't think I have but I, I certainly have a feeling of like I'm not doing this right like I'm not finding the, the, the balance between being really ambitious and so driven with the mission and the work and finding that kind of sweet spot of um you know giving myself enough time to yeah for, for everything we you know you, you mentioned exercise time with my friends and family yeah like I said I don't know if that's a failure but it, it feels to me like I'm not doing it well and I feel like I need to do better to me it feels like I'm failing a bit in that in that sort of area I get that I'm sure you're not but I think it says a lot about you and you know I feel very similar I think it's because you're conscientious and you care and I think when you care as much as you do about your mission and your family and your friends and all that it's very hard to keep everyone happy and it's something that I think I'll always battle with I mean family will always come first for me 
but JBM is my second family <laughs> and uh, you know, you, you've got to keep the lights on. So sometimes there are things that have to go by the wayside. And I think maybe throughout life, that's just a constant. Somebody told me, I think I've said this on the podcast before about think of it like hobs on a stove and you know, you can't always have all four hobs burning like full blast because you'll burn the house down, but you might have at any one time, two of them going quite strong and a couple simmering. And then there are different points in your life or a year where the other two, you have to kind of turn up a bit and turn down. So I, I try and think of it a bit like that now, but I think it's um, it's something that people talk about a lot on the podcast, to be honest with you, particularly parents. And I think there's probably a lot more we can do to support each other in not feeling as guilty and, um, you know, but also creating the sort of flexible working environments where parents can be parents still and be present parents, but also still do meaningful work. Nikki, thank you so much. Love your answer already. It's, uh, you know, we've w- hopefully warmed you up now and I want to dig straight into the story. And before we come on to the body coach and being a CEO and all that exciting stuff, I think it's always good to start at the beginning. So do you mind telling our listeners a bit more about your childhood and upbringing? Because I know it's played a key part in kind of who you are and why you do what you do. Yeah, sure. I mean, some people may know my childhood and my story and not because they've heard me talk about it because they've heard joe maybe talk about it but um you know we are both very open about our upbringing stuff but yeah we you know we had quite an unsettled childhood i guess my parents both struggled with addiction and and mental health mental illness and mental health issues so you know my dad's a recovering drug addict and he's been in and out of rehab my entire life really my mum had quite bad eating disorders and ocd and sort of lots of anxiety and so childhood was yeah it was a bit sort of wild and quite unsettled I guess but we were also like really well you know loved and always felt like even when my dad was at his lowest and my mum was not well it was always knew that we were loved we always had everything we needed and yeah we had and I had a great there was a lot of support in our family you know my, my, I spent a lot of time at my nan's when I was younger as well so you know we were well looked after and I guess really lucky as well. Like we had, you know, went to good schools, schools that, you know, I guess helped become part of that support and stability in our lives. But yeah, but overall, it was a pretty kind of quite a mad upbringing in many ways and a bit all over the place. But yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think we've spoken about this a bit before, but it's well documented. And I think it's really great that you and, and Joe do, do share it because I'm sure there's lots of people that are going through this that don't necessarily see high profile and successful people uh, that, that that actually share uh, coming from similar types of backgrounds. So how has that helped you? You know, there's sort of challenges in your earlier life. How has that helped you to become the person you are today, the leader you are today, the, the parent you are today? And uh, I guess it would be also great to explore just, you know, that dynamic between you and Joe when you were growing up, how that relationship has evolved. I think a lot of this, the answer to this question, I've only really started to like learn and over the last few years and piece together like in sort of I've seen a therapist over the last year or two and I've been on a bit of a journey with Joe we made a documentary for BBC about parental mental health and sort of looked at you know Joe went and looked at his own upbringing to sort of as a as a kind of platform to have that discussion so I've kind of yeah been on a bit of a journey really looking back at some of this stuff and I guess learning about how it has impacted me I think one thing that I always remember from a really young age was like being really aware that my parents, you know, weren't well. And I knew that my dad was using drugs and from a really young age. And I, I didn't sort of tell anyone that I knew, but I, I knew a lot of what was going on. And, and of course, your parents, like they try and protect you from things. So 
they probably tried to hide it but i i was always very very vigilant and very aware of what was going on and i remember like being quite young and thinking about how i was going to not do that and how like i wanted to sort of break break the cycle and i think i've always it's been quite conscious like this thing of like i i'm going to avoid going down that road so i was always you know very anxious about drinking and when when drugs and alcohol started to kind of creep in as you get to teenage you know become a teenager i was always very sort of like didn't want to be near it i was very scared of of drugs and addictions actually my dad's got quite a lot of brothers uh, half brothers and addiction has affected like seven or eight of our family have had addiction problems and i was always really scared that it was like genetic and like you know and and, and there's no there's a lot of you know discussion about this and i i don't know you know what the sort of science is but i mean i i kind of believe that it's probably a bit of both i do think addiction there can be genetic traits but i was always really scared anyway of like well you know when people started smoking you know weed in the park and i was always like no i'm not i was too scared of where it might lead because i i guess i'd seen the worst version of like drug use you know and i was always very nervous so i suppose that deterred me from a really young age i didn't really start to drink until i got to uni i wasn't like someone that sort of drank down the park when I was 16 when a lot of my friends were were sort of starting on that sort of journey of experimenting with, with that kind of thing so it definitely put me off and I think yeah it definitely made me want to sort of break that cycle that my family historically has seen lots of addiction and 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 all the tra- you know all the pain and that comes with that right because it affects everyone around them and yeah so I think it has definitely shaped me and obviously you, you know I think everybody background shapes them in some way but in real kind of obvious ways like you know deterrent in 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 many ways and also just wanting to do things differently yeah that's really admirable because I I guess you sometimes see the opposite to that don't you it's all you know so you just follow suit and you go sort of down that path whereas I think it it takes a lot of courage and bravery to to kind of break the cycle but I think it's uh you know clearly it's it's been great for you and and I guess like on your relationship with Joe as, as a kid I guess as the big brother, were you very much uh, the kind of keeping him protected from a lot of this? And how has your relationship over the the years evolved? Yeah, I mean, I was, I didn't know, again, that's something that I've really come to understand lately, like that protective role that I took with Joe. I mean, my mum had me when she was 16. She had Joe by the time she was 18. So she had, you know, two kids under two and she was still a kid herself, you know. And then, you know, obviously my dad was was kind of in and out of um our lives really with when he was kind of relapsed or use, using he would often not be there and it or it'd be in you know my mum didn't try to keep keep us away from it as much as possible so you know there was I definitely looking back now and joining the dots of like my my life and my relationship with Joe I've definitely took that protective role and also protecting my mum as well like I used to you know know that my dad had used drugs and I and I and I wouldn't tell her like if I had seen or you know something or I was even sort of protecting my mum probably as well but I think going back to what you said earlier as, as well about I think a lot of people expected me and Joe to be like go off the rails it was almost like we had permission to because of our you know people knew our childhood was what it was and I think I definitely didn't know it at the time but I think looking back a part of me was like I heard conversations you know like well you know you can't blame him because we, we were quite naughty kids. Like we were, you know, we did get in trouble at school. We weren't like horrible kids. We, we you know, there was obviously behavioral 
things were coming out in school and stuff that were probably a result of like the frustration at home, you know, silly, like naughty behavior. Like, and I think maybe deep down, like hearing that stuff, like, well, you know, there was no expectation of like me and Joe to do anything. And I think a part of me was like, well, I'll show you. Like, I think looking back now, maybe there's a part of me that wanted to prove people wrong. No, I love that. Sometimes what you need is that fire in the belly and to, to prove the naysayers wrong. And I, I feel it's, um, it's often the start of incredible journeys when, you're, when you've got that kind of fire coming from within. Thank you so much for sharing. I think it's a really, it's, it's a unique story, but, but actually not a unique story because there are probably lots of people listening to this who, who have come from sort of similar types of backgrounds, but we don't always talk about it. And I think sometimes it's really good to get it out there and, and share. And clearly that relationship with Joe has blossomed and only got stronger over the years. I know you're still incredibly close and you're working together, but I know that wasn't the plan, right? So do you mind telling our listeners just a bit about, I know you, you worked in publishing for a while, and but how did it come about that you ultimately joined the body coach when you did? That wasn't intended, was it? No, it definitely wasn't intended. No. So yeah, I, I did a law degree at uni originally, and um, I knew halfway through that, that I didn't want to be a lawyer. I wanted to finish you know, finish it. I then took some, a year off. I went traveling after uni and was kind of like, oh, figuring out, you know, what am I going to do? And well, I was hoping that I was going to figure out what I was going to do. And I came back and had no idea still, but I did start to keep a sort of travel diary and a, and a, and a, a blog on MySpace, which I didn't even know what a blog was at the time, but I started to write a kind of some of my travels. And when I got back, someone said, oh, your blog was hilarious. Like you should be a writer. And I was like, I'd never thought about I never even, didn't even consider that was a job or a thing. So I actually just started to think about that and what it could mean and ended up doing a master's in um, magazine journalism. I decided I was going to try and get, you know, work in magazines. So did a master's, full-time master's for a year and trained as a journalist. And then I did lots of work experience. I was working, you know, working for free for six months. And yeah, I managed to get work in um, uh, firstly uh, B2B, publishing so I, I had a job at PR week which is a trade magazine for the PR industry and then I moved over within the company from uh, it was with Haymarket into in 2012 Haymarket won the contract for London 2012 to be there to do all the official publications for the Olympics and I was like, oh god I need to you know how cool would it be to work on the Olympics in London like being amazing um once in a lifetime so I started asking around and managed to get a job you know short term kind of contract working on the magazines and the programs for the Olympics. So that was in 2012. And around the same time, I was living with Joe at the time at my dad's in Surbiton. And he had started his boot camp and um, doing his fitness um, in the park. And he talked, shared this story a lot. But, you know, he started out doing morning boot camps and handing out flyers at the station. And, you know, for a long time, nobody came. And, you know, that's a story that has been told many times, you know, by Joe. But, I was kind of there with him helping him, you know, we'd all do a bit of flyering as a family in the evenings. And yeah, so I was doing my thing in magazines. And then I fast forward, I ended up taking a job in Singapore, at Campaign Magazine, which is again, I sort of went back into trade press, Campaign Asia. So I was living in Singapore. And in the mean, you know, in the background, Joe was back here, sort of things were starting to grow on his Instagram. And he was, you know, we've always been close. So I was, you know, we'd speak 10 times a day. And we were very kind of, it was very much sort of, with him on that journey in the background, just as his brother, you know, and, and obviously with my sort of media background, helping him with some things here and there. But yeah, and then and then I guess, I guess 2015, 
he said to me, look, why don't you, you know, this is starting to get some traction. Why don't you come back and help me? And I said, absolutely not. There's no way I'm, you know, don't think working with um, family, you know, I was worried that our relationship might suffer, you know, like you just hear these stories of like working with your friends and family. So I kind of resisted it initially. And um, for a few months we were talking about it and, you know, in the end, I just thought, you know, actually, like, if I don't go and help him, maybe he'll end up getting some bad advice or, and I, and I just sort of felt like, I felt like I wanted to go and help him. And and I guess now I sort of see it now realizing I was actually probably trying to protect him from potentially because his profile was growing and stuff like that. So I came back and yeah, it was um, originally I said, look, I'm not going to work for you. Like I'm not going to be an employee. I'll work with you. And my original role was head of content. And I said, I'm going to just kind of set up my own little thing and I, you can sort of be a client, I guess. I had this maybe this grand vision of building like an agency or something. I never did. Joe was my only client for that time. And yeah, my, I came back really kind of, you know, leveraging my skill set as a journalist, really, and like storytelling. And and I was a you know big believer in leaning into content. So we just said, right, let's, you know, we had no plans to grow or to do any marketing or anything like that. But we said, let's just create lots of really amazing content. So, you know, we started a YouTube channel. The, obviously, he'd already started the Lean in 15 videos. So we're just producing lots of content, basically. And then over over the years, I sort of got more involved with different areas of the business. And when we eventually decided to build an app, that was like a big shift in the shape of the business and the needs of the business. And um, yeah, I've, I've kind of fast forwarded a bit. When we started hiring um, engineers to build our app, people were sort of going, oh, like, who's, well, who, who's the CEO? Like, who am I reporting into? And I was sort of like, got off the phone to Joe and was like, I think I need to be the CEO. Like, I think we need a CEO. I think you're too busy, like doing everything that Joe, you know, Joe does. And, you know, he's the face of the brand. Obviously, he's filming all the time. And, you know, sort of operationally, we didn't have anyone sort of to take that take on that role. So I guess I was officially kind of running the business anyway, without the title. But we made it official. Yeah, a year or so ago. So cool. How do you think you've benefited from not coming from that traditional tech CEO background? Because it is, it's not the normal route, but yeah, how has that helped? I've not really thought about how it's helped. I mean, I guess there's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, and I have like every day a new challenge comes in and I'm literally trying to figure it out for the first time. But I don't think that's unique. You know, I, I, I guess you can't train to be a CEO, can you? You can't really, I mean, unless you've done it before. I guess I didn't have anyone to learn from. Like I didn't, I've never seen or been inside a business that's growing. You know, I've never been in meetings at that level of like leadership. So, you know, the first thing, I mean, literally everything was starting from scratch, like building a leadership team. We had no processes. I mean, we had 10 staff, around 10 staff that have been with us six years plus, many of them, kind of customer support heroes on our previous product, which was a a PDF um business and that was like a really easy business to run it had no kind of complexity that comes with you know building teams and and culture and you know and also having senior more senior people in the business so to be honest I think not knowing probably helped me take the leap to do it I think if I had known how hard it was going to be I might have thought about it differently it might have scared me or put me off and I, I was a bit naive really although you know, some good friends and mentors did did sort of say, look, you know, are you sure you want to go down this road? Because it's it's really hard. Like, and I'm 
I'm only, you know, over a year into it and it, it's, it is intense and, you know, it's been a tough start to the year and I'm everything right now is new because it's the first time I've done it and the first time I've seen it. Yeah. But I think the fresh eyes are actually really important because I think sometimes if you learn from an amazing CEO and you've been through a startup journey or maybe you've seen a few different, of course, you can take bits and you can kind of create your own version of it but you are going to be influenced i think by what you've seen before and that, that can be a good thing but that can also be a bad thing and i think if you just don't know any better and you're just you're going off gut and you're going off instinct and obviously you're putting the right people around you i think sometimes that can be a really good way to do it because and there's a bit less pressure i think in that way albeit i know you'll be putting yourself under tons of pressure and you've got the pressure of you know holding this great brand you've built you know delivering for it but um I think in many ways, it's a good way to do it, albeit you're properly throwing yourself in at the deep end, which is uh, challenging. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. But before we continue hearing from today's mentor, I wanted to take a minute to give a shout out to our series sponsors, Alchemist. Alchemist is an industry-leading learning and development company using immersive and interactive experiences to help increase employee engagement, levels of happiness, and achievement across your teams and overall productivity. Alchemist presents L&D departments with an opportunity to innovate and be bold in their approaches to blended learning. If you love the sound of this as much as we do here at JBM, then head over to thisisalchemist.com forward slash 40 Minute Mentor to learn more. And now back to our 40 Minute Mentor. What's for sure is that, you know, the Body Coach is this iconic brand. You've been like, critical to that success from day one and, and joe is obviously seen as this national treasure but you've always described it as this accidental business that kind of came it came about in a not a typical way so can you explain a bit about that and i guess for anyone that hasn't heard of it i'd be surprised if that wasn't the case but it's probably a good time to properly explain what the business is and does now and how it's evolved from sort of the early days yeah sure so i touched on it earlier but yeah joe started off as a personal trainer when he decided that was the path he wanted to go on he had done some other things he was a teaching assistant for a while and you know he decided that he wanted to pursue the personal training career and he's doing some one-on-one training but then started this boot camp business in Richmond and Surbiton he had, he had two, two locations towards the end but you know and then he started to sort of leverage social media and wanted to sort of just spread his message a bit more like he's always kind of just wanted to get people moving and like help people sort of fall in love with exercise and the bootcamp business was was going really well. And then, you know, Instagram came along and he started sharing recipes on Instagram. There was a the big moment, I guess, you know, was when Instagram unlocked video. So the first ever iteration of Instagram video, which seems like 100 years ago now, because it's such a video platform now. But, you know, obviously it was images. The first video feature was you could do 15 second videos. And that's when he started posting video recipes. And Lean in 15 was... 15 second videos of simple, quick, healthy meals that, you know, were like often 15 minutes to cook, but shot in 15 seconds. So, you know, it's kind of why that high energy, high talking fast, you know, came from because he only had 15 seconds to create a whole recipe, which people could then go away and like copy and cook. Yeah. Then, you know, very organically started to grow his social following at some point when he had around 50 or 60,000 followers, I think. He got approached, um, asked if he wanted to do a cookbook based on the Lean in 15 videos, you know, and never had a, any intention to, to write a book. You know, he'll be the first to admit, like, he's he's not even, you know, he's not a trained chef. So he was like, as how the hell can I write a cookbook? But he went on to get a book deal 
that book, the first Lean in 15 book, um, went on to become the second fastest selling cookbook of all time. I think it still is. Uh, Jamie Oliver's is, is still the, the the fastest selling. But yeah, like incredible story really with, with the book because it was, as I said, never an ambition or a plan. And yeah, you know, the business, so then he launched a, a digital PDF, an online training and nutrition plan, which was delivered in, a, in PDF form. And yeah, just very slowly started to kind of, as his Instagram following would grow, he would sell, well, more people would sign up to the 90 day plan. And then, yeah, he, you know, when he called me and said, you know, come and help me, let's try and reach more people because it seems to be connecting with, with people. Um, the brief was always the same. It was like, how can we help more people? whether it was on the YouTube, you know, which is a channel with over 600 workouts now, which is a free channel. We post a new workout every single week. There was the books, which were six or seven pounds, depending on where you bought them. And then there was the paid product, the 90 day plan. So there was all the the kind of these different touch points. And we just felt, well, let's keep building them all because that means wherever you are, you can kind of have access to to what we're, to our message and to, to our content and stuff. So you know, that business was, was amazing. Like 600,000 people signed up to that 90 day plan during its life cycle. And then somewhere, you know, down the line, we started to think about how can we make the product better um, and make it easier for people to use. And, you know, there was a lot of limitations with a PDF and what you can do for customers. So, you know, the kind of everything was pointing in the direction of building an app, really. So we started to think about it. And then we actually we went and had a visit. We went to visit Headspace in, in Santa Monica around this time that we were thinking about building an app. And we had a really great meeting, went to an awesome office, and they hosted us for a coffee. And we walked in, and there's like 300-odd people. And me and Joe were just like, wow, this is really cool. But like we stood on this balcony, and Joe said, like, who are like all these people? Like, What are they doing? And the guy said, um, I think it was like the, the VP of – I can't remember exactly, but he said, oh, they're, they're, most of them are engineers – and we, we we left that meeting and we went down to the beach and we were like, bloody hell, like if that's what building a successful app or tech company or tech product looks like, and it totally put us off. Like we were just like, it was just scary to think that that's what a successful scene behind, you know, because we're big fans of Headspace as well. So yeah, that put us off for a while. And then about a year passed and we just couldn't ignore the fact that we had this opportunity to make a better product um, that, you know, could be more scalable and and just better experience for users. So we went on that journey. We hired an amazing agency to build our app. We invested a lot of money. We worked with a great agency and we invested it. You know, we've we've always been self-funded. We've never never raised any money. So we invested to build the app. They ran it for it took us a year to build. After we started building the app, pandemic hit and that took us on a whole nother path with you know P with Joe, which was yeah, like again, a huge moment for Joe and and for I guess you know it grew. There's a the awareness of Joe and our and uh, and the body coach through the roof during that th- those workouts. So and yeah, then after so we launched the app agency, ran it for a year, and then we obviously you know we always intended to bring it in house. So at the end of that point, I think you know the agency had thirty odd, forty people working on the on the app across Android and iOS, and we essentially sat down and was like, right, we need to build a team that can carry on building developing our app but we wanted it in-house so the last 12 to 18 months we've been on that journey and we're now you know we've gone from sort of 10 people all mainly customer support people and a couple of content people to now a team of almost 40 and it's mainly now product and engineers so in a year we've we've grown you know really quickly and it's it's yeah it's terrifying really it's it's terrifying but it's incredible i mean what a story and 
I know some of the listeners will know bits of that, but it's great to hear it end to end, just kind of what a journey you've been on. And I guess a big part of your success is how authentic and yeah, what a great mission you have, which we'll come on to talk about a bit more. But but thanks so much, Nikki. I guess to achieve the sort of success you have, it, it doesn't come without sacrifices and challenges. So what have been some of the biggest, gnarliest things you've had to deal with that we can share with anyone that might be going through a similar sort of struggles in startup life? Yeah, I mean, it's the complexity that comes with building teams and, and people and, and managing people. And that's I found that really hard personally. And I think that we're very, you know, we've always wanted to build a really great place to work and, and to have a great a place that people love to work. And, and you know, hopefully, you know, the, the fact that we had so many people that have stayed with us for, you know, six years plus, actually, you know, now seven years, something for a lot of the support team we've got now, many of them, it was their, you know, their first job and they're still with us. And I, I hope that's testament to the way we've tried to, I guess, build a culture. We didn't didn't know we were building a culture back then. We just trying to kind of, it was never like, oh, what's our culture and what should our values be? We, we've only started doing, having those conversations in the last year or two as we've, you know, hired senior people and building teams. So I found that really hard. And, you know, to be honest, James, like, you know, this year has been, you know, literally the last two weeks, you know, I haven't really talked about this, but we've we've had a really big challenge. We We have had to restructure the team a little bit and it's been the worst thing I've ever had to go through. Like I've hated it. It's been, it's just been awful. And a lot of companies are going through this at the moment. And I, I, I naively thought that we, we were immune to the kind of market, you know, because we're self-funded and, you know, I, I just sort of felt that, and we've always been profitable. So we've never had to worry about sort of, you know, I guess some of the challenges that startups have when you're funded and, and you've got a run rate and, and you're, and you're, you know, we, I guess we, I've never felt we needed to worry about those, but in all honesty, like we have had to make some changes to our engineering team this last two weeks and it's been really tough and I, I, I'm kind of right off the back of it, like going through that. So I'd say that's been the toughest thing. Yeah. I'm really sorry to hear that. And I mean, it's, you're not alone and um and it's it's the worst part of the job you know we we caught up for a coffee the other day and i think i shared with you it's always been the worst part that i've ever had to you know letting anyone go is 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 by far and away the worst part of my job and my career to date so yeah i'm sure there's lots of other people listening to this that will be able to resonate with that i, I think what advice do you have from from your experience obviously the team's grown incredibly quickly I guess that's not been without its challenges, but you have been able to attract amazing people and clearly your mission is a big draw there. But what advice do you have for anybody that might be going through that kind of growth journey at the moment, thinking about hiring? Like what 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 sort of tips and tricks have you got from your experience and, and or anything else just from the people side of the business that's really helped the body coach? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm so new to some of this, but I, I you know, can reflect on my own experience like you know we have hired we've been really lucky we've we've hired some really amazing people and the, and the team are great and I had very I'm very naive around like the technical side of what we need in terms of people's skills and I had to sort of really trust you know other people to to take that side of it like, I, I don't know what good looks like in some of these roles right and I think though for me I was very like and I interviewed every single you know person that came in to the team over the last year and I I was just really trying to find people that cared about what we were trying to do and 
you know, we have been a family business. We are, you know, a family. We're literally a, a you know, family business in the sense of me and Joe being family. And we've also got, you know, my, my cousin works for the business and the team that we've had, you know, the, the, that first group, that support team that have been with us a long time, they, they do feel like family, like, because they've been with us for so long. I guess I knew that that would be harder to to maintain as we grew. But I also felt like, but we could try and look for, you know, traits and find really fine people that were on get the mission and and I think we've done that really well and it's been very con like very a conscious effort to really find people that were looking for a new role where they're really going to be impacting people like wanted you know and, and lots of people do want to work for for businesses that are you know have such a strong purpose so we really emphasize that in our hiring process and it's really shown in the way the team has bonded like around this like single focus of like right how can we just help one more person each day like get moving like one person each day like that's always been the thing me and joe have talked about like if we create a youtube workout and only one person does it like it was worth doing so we're not interested in a million views we're interested in like did someone do the workout and we tried to carry that through like you know and, and really i suppose for me like what i've realized is i i feel like i'm a broken record like and i'm saying the same thing all the time but actually i think people like to be reminded of it they like to be you know, they're energized by the mission and, and and talking about it and in my head i was oh god i'm always talking about the purpose and what we're trying to do and you know people must be sick of hearing about it but i don't think they are like i don't know if they tell me if they were but i i think deep down like i think people do just they love to be reminded you know and we you know in our offsites we always bring a customer and we try and find someone who's been on the journey with us like a, a, a client or a customer to share their story and you know because we're an app and we're a digital business and even with social like you've got it's all virtual connections and relationships but there's nothing more powerful than seeing someone telling you like they've changed their life or they've transformed their life you know by doing our workouts or using our app or you know cooking our recipes and we just try and yeah we try and bring the customer as close to the team as we can as well yeah and i think that dna that values alignment in the company and that there's that dna within the team that you know it just especially through the difficult times you've mentioned that the, the, the year is started off in a challenging way like it has for so many but i think that dna within uh where everybody's so passionate about what they do that that often you know stands you in good stead during, particularly during the harder times and i think one thing that you've done incredibly well is you know you've obviously built this huge following and got this this large customer base across all the different channels i know recently that you opened your first fitness studio which was incredible you've got the youtube channel you know all the social media and the books and that is very very hard to do but it's authentic and 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 everybody that I, I mean so many friends of mine you know are consumers and i wanted to ask you about the evolution of the brand uh, and if you've got any advice for anyone listening that's trying to lean in right now to marketing and social media because it's it's not easy to do but you've done it in such a way that is never I think it is so authentic to the mission. And sometimes people chase vanity metrics and they get distracted and they go off in all different ways. But it seems like you've done it in such a way that it hasn't lost that that core. So so any any advice there for anybody that's that may be struggling with that? I think that the vanity metric thing is a is a good point. I think there's so many certainly when you're building on social, you know, like is it about getting a million views or is it about engagement? I mean, for us we we actually quite early on 
made a pretty kind of conscious decision to sort of you know we said let's focus on like engagement and depth versus just like growing the, the numbers for like for numbers sake so we are always trying to sort of draw a line back to like impact like what did this thing do like did people do a workout or did they cook the recipes or did they download you know the free budget recipe pack like, and i think that still happened quite organically because when joe started posting video recipes what was amazing like was you'd post a video at like 4 p.m and like people would then go home and get on the train and they'd be like flick, you know figure instagram and th- this was back in the, back in the old days where like it was all chronological order as well so we used to be like really mindful like well, let's post breakfast recipes in the morning and like let's post dinner recipes in the afternoon and you know people would then like at six seven o'clock we'd get all these pictures coming in like on people sharing on social like i saw your recipe on the way home i popped into sainsbury's and bought the ingredients and i've just made it and like it was lovely or i was about to get a pizza but then i saw your recipe like so we've always just fed off that like and it's really what i guess we we saw that happening and we just kind of just in our in the way we work like we always try to create content that's useful and valuable you know joe's not one to sort of lean into he doesn't sort of do many trends that often now you, you kind of have to play the game a bit with the algorithms to kind of to get the reach and the views but it's been a really easy to say like no to things when you're so clear on like, well does it do the thing we want it to do which is like get people moving get them to cook a recipe you know or get them sort of um you know, or, or for example, we, you know, we talk about mental health and sleep a lot now as well. Like, can we help inspire people to go to bed a bit earlier because they're going to feel better? So I think focusing on like, what, what do you want the outcome to be? Like, because it's really easy to get a million views on, on Instagram or TikTok. Like, you know, I've always, I always use this example, but like, you, do, you know, if you post a, a video of a cat doing sit-ups, like you're probably going to get a million views quite easily. And look, the, uh, entertainment is great. Like making people laugh is also a, a, a good thing, right? I think we're Joe. Joe's great at also just making people smile sometimes. Even when you think about those first Lean and Fifteen videos, like throwing rice across the kitchen, and you know it was entertaining as well. So I'm not saying that entertainment and isn't important, but yeah, I think we are focused on like what does this thing help people do. I don't know if there's any advice in there. I've just sort of ranted a bit. No, no, it's, it really helps. I think. I think you have such a clear purpose and focus that, that that guides a lot of the decisions you make. Um, whereas you sometimes feel that brands and com- are, are kind of chasing the, you know, how everyone else is doing it or the, the current fad. Whereas if you kind of stick to what you're trying to achieve, I think there's a lot to be said for that and just focusing on what, what customers love and what people genuinely get a lot of value from. And I think that's, that's authentic. And I think that's, that can really that really comes across. Nikki, I'm conscious of time. There's a couple more questions I want to ask before we get to our wrap up. And I guess just coming back to you and, and your brother, Joe, you know, is obviously very well known now. And you've talked about being, you know, protective big brother. So how do you support him with the pressure and expectations that come with this intense media spotlight and all the, you know, being dragged in all the different directions? How, how do you do that? And I guess linked to that question, how do you also balance your role and the brand responsibility as CEO with Joe being a brand in his own right. I just wanted to touch upon that quickly. Joe's really good actually at like balance and, you know, he's, he's very focused, loves his family and he's always been much better than me at sort of carving out time for himself. And so in many ways, like at the moment, he's probably protecting me actually, or trying to, because I think, you know, he can see that he can see that I'm stressed. He can see that, lots going on and he's he's probably more worried about me 
than I'm worried about him, which is a bit of a new bit of a role reversal, really. But and that's because you know it is really demanding. Like uh, any anyone that leads a what has a business or is a leader or a CEO, like it is really hard. And um, he can see that, and he worries about me a lot. So at the moment, he's sort of like trying to get me to you know have a day, have some time off, or you know make sure you're you know looking after yourself and. But in terms of yeah, you know, Joe is. It's funny because I don't see Joe as a as a celebrity or as like as being famous. Like he's still my, he's I just he's still my little brother, you know. Like so, and he doesn't see himself as a celebrity or or being famous either, really. So there's not really much like we have to do in that space. You know, he gets asked to a lot of TV, and he doesn't really, you know, he turns a lot of stuff down. We did make the documentary, obviously, and again that that came about and we sat down and we looked at it as an opportunity and we thought well this actually feels like something that can help people like that 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 issue of you know parental mental health and using our story or joe's story to to talk about that and we were hoping that it would help people start a conversation so there was a real like good reason for joe to do that tv but this is in the press every year but you know he gets asked to go and strictly come dancing and he doesn't or whatever you know it may be and he he just doesn't really want to do that stuff for the for the sake of it really he's very grounded i mean it sounds like that's who he is but also like you've got his back in a way that i guess in other situations other startups it's a very it'll be a very different dynamic in there you know with ceos and and founders and stuff and it's just so nice that that your relationship is stronger than ever and you can both protect each other just as he's trying to look after you right now i just think it's it's so nice to hear well thank you nikki i've got i've got one more quick question before we wrap up uh, or get to our final wrap-up questions and that's just we're recording this in january 2023 we know a lot of our listeners will be looking to build a better fitness habits this year so what just final bits of advice can you give them about trying to make habits stick and and how to lead a slightly healthier more active life in 2023 oh i wish i had the answer for everybody on that is you know it's really hard motivation comes in waves like it's hard to be on it all the time and i think you know we try and even with new year's resolutions like it's very difficult to be on it all the time and even joe you know he talks about this openly like he's the fittest person i know and but there are times where he you know he has trouble with motivation as well and he's eating marmalade on toast at, at 10 at night and stuff but i would just say look keep it i mean I, for me personally it's 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 keeping it really simple and just focusing on like we talk about sort of like little wins like you know drinking plenty of water you know you're obviously exercising every day if you can i think sleep is is so important like i've really come to realize that you know if i do get enough sleep or more sleep i make better food choices i'm more likely to exercise i've just got more energy to do all of these things that you know that that we need to do so i think that yeah not and and we give ourselves a hard time right that's the problem with with goals when 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 we stop we then sort of we can be quite hard on ourselves you know i've been trying to get up at 6am um it's a, to try and find a bit more time in the day to to get my exercise done first thing and i'm 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 not a morning person so this is a huge deal for me but what i've come to realize is I need to be like in bed and asleep by like 10, 10, 15. And then I can get up at six and, and I can do that. But if I don't get into bed by half, but you know, and it's later, if I get to bed at half, 10, 11, I now just don't try because I'm setting myself up for failure. So I just go, do you know what? I didn't manage this today. I'll try again tomorrow. It's just about being kind to yourself. Just, yeah, obviously I'm a big believer, you know, exercise is, 
is the key to everything like i think energy it, it gives us energy it improves our mental health it resets our stress you know for me it's a real coping mechanism for for the demands of like running a business for sure I, I, it's my release one of the big game changes for me i've been doing these for since the since the pandemic really but i call them walkie talkies and basically any meeting that i have if i don't need a screen i do them on the phone and i walk so I might have four walkie-talkies in a day and I'm walking for like half an hour at a time and I'm getting loads of steps in. I'm getting out, I'm getting fresh air. The meetings are really productive. If we could have done this podcast on a walkie-talkie, I would have done it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say trying it. That's a really nice way to like incorporate movement and fresh air and nature into your day whilst being productive. Love that. Such a good tip. Thanks, Nikki. We're at a close. So I've got three final quick questions for you. In one sentence, what do you think the future holds for the body coach? I think the body coach is going to go on to help more people in more places and will be a brand that you can access in multiple places, whether it's on online or in a physical space. Or, yeah, we're going to reach more people around the world and um, help more people, you know, feel fitter and healthier. Amazing. And if you could be mentored by anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Uh, I'm going to say I'm a massive um, fan of Disney, the Disney brand. I just love Disney. I love everything they do. I've just been to Disneyland with my little boys at Christmas and um, just they're just the ultimate brand for me and the legacy, you know, the legacy they've built, the legacy. And I, and I really aspire to that. So, you know, Bob Iger, I read his book about three times now. Um, it's called Ride of a Lifetime and it's his kind of journey. It's the best book ever if you've, if you've not read it. Um I would love Bob Iger to be my mentor because he, to me, is just a, a fantastic leader and CEO. And so if, you, if you're listening, Bob, yeah, Bob give us a, get, give us a ring. <laughs> love that. That's such a good answer. And finally, Nikki, what's the best piece of advice that you ever received that you can pass on to our 40-minute mental listeners? This advice isn't translatable, so it's really useless for everyone listening. But, you know, the best piece of advice that someone gave me personally that went on to probably change the course of my life was in when I was at sixth form my psychology teacher you know he I think he I was very open with him about my what was going on at home and it was particularly bad around that time when I was 18 and he he took me into the office and and sat me down and he said you have to go to uni he's like you need to do whatever it takes and it wasn't like to do a particular course like he was saying to me he said you need to get away and live on your own for a bit and get out of you know, the situation for a while. And I'd never really thought seriously about uni and at that point. And, you know, I ended up going to uni and just picking a course that I thought sounded good. And it did change my life, really, because looking back, it got me on the path that I am now. But it, I, I'm sorry, that's not useful for anyone else. No, but. no, no, that's, that's amazing. That's great to hear. And I think it just goes to show sometimes you've got to take yourself out of certain situations and give yourself new experiences and it can open amazing doors uh, that's an amazing place to end it Nikki you know I'm a huge fan I, I love your vulnerability I love the brand that you, you've built with Joe and you know I, I know your mentorship is is just what we need to hear at the beginning of the year so thank you so much for coming on the podcast um, again I guess for the second time but officially for the first time you know on your own and I, I'm buzzing to see what the the rest of 2023 has in store for you and the team so uh yeah thank you so much for coming on thank you james thanks for having me and um yeah i hopefully see you soon sounds good cheers mate 
Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. I really hope you enjoyed Nikki's mentorship and learning more about his incredible journey with The Body Coach. As always, if you'd like to find out more about what Nikki and Joe are up to or our sponsors, Alchemist, please make sure you check out the links in the show notes. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all of the latest episodes. I'll see you again next week for another dose of pocket-sized mentorship. Mentorship.